guys. Thanks for listening to this teaching on the spiritual discipline of community for our Become Like Jesus class. This is Josh, of course. At the end of our last class, uh, I kind of recapped the capstone project for our class, which is to craft a rule of life using the eight disciplines that we've covered in class and, you know, choosing specific practices of those disciplines that you want to kind of commit to maybe for the next six months as sort of an experiment. Uh, You know, ultimately, big picture, long term, I'd love to kind of land the plane on these eight disciplines as a kind of like a church family, as a sort of like baseline way of life that we embrace together as a church family. Of course, you know, as we've said several times, the practice of those eight disciplines would or could or should look differently for each of us in our church family based on our personality and stage of life and all that kind of stuff, particular things that we struggle with or need to grow in or whatever. But the reason I go into that is because the more our the culture around us moves away from the way of Jesus, the more that I think we need to embrace disciplines together in community. Uh, Embracing disciplines together in community is going to be more and more important to form us to be like Jesus. I mean, back in the day, Everything shut down on Sundays, you know, whether you went to church or not or you're Christian or not, like, you know, in the in the 50s or whatever, like all stores were closed. Like, isn't that awesome to think about? Uh, you know, that, that just was how society worked is kind of like these like built in prompts to Sabbath. Like you couldn't go shopping and you couldn't work as well, a lot of people couldn't work because their place was closed. But of course, you know, as the great theologian Bob Dylan said, the times, they are a changing. And so... I'm not necessarily in despair about that, but I am excited to explore a shared way of life, a shared rule of life together as a church family, as just a point of stability or rootedness in the way of Jesus and in really practical ways. Again, with flexibility to practice each discipline in a way that fits you, uh, your personality and lifestyle. Uh, But I kind of wonder if as it gets weirder and weirder to be a Jesus follower, meaning we'll have to live more and more differently from the surrounding culture if the in the future churches won't have core values but like core practices that you know core ways of being that are uh, over and against the world and seeking to press into the kingdom but that's of course a conversation for another class now in our theory of transformation that we unpacked at the beginning community is one of the key elements we have teaching practices and community all done in the power of the holy spirit and in the context of the work joy and suffering of our real daily lives. That's our theory of transformation. So community is kind of unique in the sense that it is one of the key elements of transformation, but it's also its own discipline. Biblically, this is just unavoidable. Like you literally never see Jesus one-on-one with his disciples in the scriptures. Uh, I think he's one-on-one with Nicodemus, but that was like when Nicodemus was like a seeker. You know, he was asking questions. He wasn't a disciple at that point. Uh, it's it's pretty profound that he's always, there seems there always be at least two Uh, if not three or four or all 12. Uh, And there's so many different directions to go with unpacking the discipline of community from Scripture. But let's just start with a word from our King Jesus in John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So there you have it. 
Unlike the other disciplines that we have been going through in this class, uh, Jesus really clearly says this is a command to love one another, like in practical, real ways. It's a mark of a disciple of Jesus that we love other disciples of Jesus. To not love other disciples of Jesus in the daily rhythms of our lives should, should give us really serious pause about where we stand with Jesus. Uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside the bodies of Jesus' followers is a force of love. I heard, I've heard the, that third person of the Trinity described as the personification of the force of love between the Father and the Son. It's, it's so intense that it's its own person. And the, the Holy Spirit is a force of unity, and it's a force that moves us towards one another. And just a couple chapters later, Jesus unpacks some more aspects of this love amongst his disciples in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, and Jesus is describing this really beautiful, intimate relationship, this oneness with him, this like connection where we draw our life force from him and all his life flows out of us. We produce fruit. And so this is a great text uh, for considering a lot of disciplines. I think it's used super commonly for scripture and silence and solitude and, you know, simplicity with that like pruning aspect and um, a a lot of the classic individual disciplines. Uh, But look what he says next in uh, skipping a couple of verses down to verse nine. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be in, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here he's making a connection between abiding in Jesus' love and keeping his commandments. There's a really fascinating dynamic between love and obedience in the farewell discourse, uh, which is John 13 through 17, those chapters. In chapter 14, he says really plainly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a pretty straightforward thing. But here he says it another way. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The first way shows the reality that when you love someone, you desire to live according to their their way of life and being. You know, husbands and wives do this all the time. Like we shape each other's lives by with with our desires and preferences because we love each other. And that love is going from us to another person. In marriage, it's in our spouse, uh, in a relationship. Uh, with God, it's obviously our love going towards him in obedience. But then in John 15, it's the other way. It's love from Jesus coming to us in our obedience. If we keep the commandments, we abide in his love. The obvious analogy here is between kids and parents. Parents give commandments to their kids, you know, most of the time, ideally because of love, a desire to keep kids from danger or create spaces for them to grow and flourish and have fun and develop into mature adults. You know, if Johnny chooses to wait for the crosswalk uh, when we're walking to the park instead of bolting into the street, uh, that's, a, that's a commandment that I've given him. He's abiding in my love because it will keep him safe. 
The same is true for Jesus. When we submit to his lordship over our lives, we open ourselves up to experience his love. Now, look at the next part, John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus just took this cozy me and Jesus passage, abide in me and I in you and produce fruit, and he extended it to how his disciples love one another, a sacrificial love for one another in the same way that Jesus loves us is the way that we obey Jesus and according to Jesus is a key way that we receive love from Jesus. So if you can follow the train of thought through the passage, we abide in Christ, produce fruit, Keeping his commandments is how we abide in him, him, in his love, and his commandment is to love our brothers and sisters. This is a very significant development, and I think it tracks really simply with our theology. We believe that we're saved, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and the Holy Spirit lives inside our brothers and sisters. So if we want to be near Jesus, we need to be near his people where his spirit dwells, Jesus, which is why we have, you know, We have disciplines that involve us getting away and listening to the Spirit inside of us, and we have this discipline of being near the people that have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Jesus says in Matthew 18, what does he say? Where two or more are gathered, I am there. So it makes sense. Like He is there with us when we gather because the Spirit is inside our brothers and sisters. This, I think, can help us make sense of a lot of what we see in the state of you know, the big C church today, at least in, you know, North America and the United States. Because uh, if church is just a lecture hall or it's just like providing spiritual services, it's a dispenser of information, you know, you can find a better one. Or if you're not getting your needs met, you can move on and consume somewhere else. Or you can just, you know, find better articulated information online uh, on a podcast or whatever than you can in your local church. You have no reason to really commit to the real imperfect humans, spirit-filled humans, but imperfect humans that make up the local church. You know, we're just coming together to get filled up as long as it works for us. And of course, we know this at Redemption City. Like We're a biblical family that's front and center in our mission statement, the the, the depth of commitment and loyalty in, a, in our church family is beautiful. But I hope we can see how the fruit in our lives that comes from abiding with Jesus is immovably connected to the degree to which we love each other in the local church. And indeed, abiding in Jesus' love, to experience his love is to obey his commandments, specifically uh, to love one another sacrificially. So I'll stop there with the biblical basis for community as a you know, discipline, uh, community as spiritual formation. But of course, we could look at the one another's in scripture and like do the heart body loop for the different one another's. Like how might this address broken parts as of our hearts as we try to live out these one another's? We could look at Paul's instructions in the epistles uh, to the churches and how he relates to the churches uh, as a, a as a pastor, as a apostle. Um, there's all kinds of biblical teaching about how huge the relationships between Jesus's people in a particular time and place are for our growth, for health. Now let's attempt to define spiritual the spiritual discipline of community. The spiritual discipline of community are the activities that help us be, to experience being known and knowing others in the local body of Christ as a source of, source of joy, strength, and guidance. I know that's a mouthful. Let me read it again. They're activities that help us experience being known and knowing others in a local body of Christ as a source of joy, strength, and guidance.
So it's wordy, but it's accurate. The practical things that enable us to, you know, be known and to know others in the local body is kind of what we're getting at here. Like, of course, theologically, you know, our standing in Christ, we're united with Christ, we're members of his body, like all that is like objectively true in the work of God. But the as far as a discipline of community, like we, we belong, uh, but then we also participate in real practical ways. And the, the, the goal or the idea is for us and, you know, our fellow church members to experience joy, strength, and guidance. So let's unpack it a little bit. The first thing is being known and knowing others. You know, it's not just hanging out with church people or, you know, small talk. Uh, it's more of a kind of life-on-life idea where we don't just see each other when we're on and we can smile and then we hide when we feel like a mess or whatever. We don't just present the part of our lives we want other to see, but it's this, you know, this uh, beautiful, vulnerable, bold knowing that only, like, works if we believe that, you know, our worth approval and you know security is all you know rooted in Christ so we can be we can be vulnerable and know each other like that and extend grace to each other based on the grace we've received it's the kind of relationship where you know those passages in scripture that say stuff like bear with one another in love or make allowances for one another's faults be devoted to one another they, you know they make sense like that you know a lot of uh, experience of church you know that might not make sense like wait what like bear with one another like you know make allowances for faults no i like leave and find people that don't have those faults or whatever community is like a family in the sense that you belong period like based on your birth and people see your mess and they they love you in it anyways of course ideally that's how family is and we see other people's mess and we love them anyways the second thing about the discipline of community is that it's local it's in person and localized which is not meant to like minimize or you know anything about having dear friends that live in other places that we might just you know check in with you know electronically or something that might still be blessings to us um that's, you know, particularly true as a pastor. It's always like, you know, how much, you know, do I share in-house or out-of-house or whatever? I have some sweet pastor bros that live other places. And that's just good, sweet spiritual friendship. But community as a spiritual discipline requires it to be local because that's where we get the time together in different contexts, seeing how people interact with their spouse or their kids. Like two of my dear friends from Big Rapids, you know, every other week we have a Zoom call, you know, but they don't see me like around Camille. They don't see me early, you know, early in the morning and late at night and, you know, in, in, in class and on Sunday morning and all that stuff and how I am around my kids and all that stuff. So th- those are good friendships and I'm thankful for them, but it's, it's different than like being in a place where you can be seen. The other reason why the local aspect of the discipline of community is important is that there's, there's this commitment. There's uh, a, a, a mutual submission, which is why church membership's a big deal. We can, know, we can know and enjoy and be blessed by brothers and sisters all over the world, but the local church theoretically is a place where we uh, specifically commit to each other. Uh, we commit uh, to the leaders over us and leaders over you commit to serve and love you like Christ and be, you know, th- there's a passage in Hebrews 13 that says, Uh, The leaders in the church, the pastors will stand before God and give an account for your souls. Uh, You know, it's it's a a big question, like which souls, you know, am I ever going to give an account for? Um, We we commit to each other to live a certain way. Uh, Being a member says, I want to submit to you and I also want to be held accountable. Um, one of the one another's, there's 59 one another's in scripture. And one of them in Ephesians 5 is submit to one another, uh, which is obviously flagrantly countercultural in our day and age. The spiritual discipline of community means we set up our lives to provide and receive the, these four benefits 
uh, that, that are in our definition, the four benefits of a Jesus-following community. So consider, as we say these, what specific practices or specific ways of being together would facilitate these, uh, the, the, the fruit of spirit-filled Jesus-following community. So the, the four benefits are joy, strength, guide, guidance, and grace. Um, of course, these things don't happen perfectly and not all the time. And a lot of times you got to go through hard times to get to the, the good stuff and all that stuff. But hopefully as, you know, people uh, press in and are filled with the spirit, these happen more and more. So the first one is joy. Joy comes from being known and loved, seeing others affirm you, your strengths, encourage you and uh, affirm that you belong. I read a super fascinating book that uh, was like, it was all I wanted to read at the time. It was the connection between this discipline of community and the practical rhythms of church community and these new discoveries in the field of neuroscience and, and how these ancient community practices of Jesus followers really affirm a lot of the things that neuroscience is showing us that we need to be healthy humans. And according to the neuroscientists, joy, at least neurologically speaking, shows up in the brain uh, when we experience someone delighting in our presence like you show up and you see in someone's face uh, in their in their their bodily presence uh, that they're glad you're here and, and the crazy thing is that neuroscience would say that is a prerequisite for growth a lot of the research has been done around children and you know shame versus joy kind of paradigm where kids know when the kids know that they're delighted in uh, when you know their parents so one of the tenets of positive parenting is like set up your life so you can del be delighted when your kid walks into the room because that's how that, that's one of the context, main contexts for how we grow versus like shame is the opposite where like sh seeing someone's presence and countenance like fall or turn negative when we walk into the room. So, you know, parent child development. <clears throat> Parenting and child development, you know, that has obvious uh, connections there. And it's just fun to think about it in church. You know, there's like all the shame and pressure and comparison happening out in the world. And then in our church family, like we show up, you know, to LTG or the Sunday gathering and people call us by name and give us a hug and ask us about our week and uh, point out positive things they see in our lives, even as we feel maybe burdened or discouraged by, uh, you know, setbacks or whatnot. The next benefit is strength comes from being able to share our weaknesses with our church family and be lifted up with encouragement, with the truth of the gospel, and, you know, even help in practical things like access to people to know that know how to fix things or do taxes or can babysit your kids or, you know, there's just all this like strength that we get when we uh, pool our resources and our talents. The next benefit is guidance, is the gift of having people who care about you and your family, praying and listening to God on your behalf considering biblical wisdom that might apply to decisions you're trying to make. Um, it's the gift of not having to figure everything out for yourself. I mean, at, you know, at some point, we all got to make the decision for ourselves. But I've seen lots of people in my short time as a pastor make decisions by themselves or within their family and just not asking their community for input and just seeing those, those decisions wreak havoc on their lives. Like we need other people who can speak in. Uh, this is like a, a humble thing. This is a gentle thing. This is a suggestion thing. It's not thus saith the Lord or I have a word that you have to do this or something. It's just, hey, here's my humble opinion based on what I see. Or how do you think this dynamic from your, you know, your family of origin, like how you grew up is playing into this decision? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? And 
we can and then take that and let God <clears throat> reveal blind spots in our lives. And the last benefit is grace. It comes in a lot of ways, but you know, most explicitly, I think when we confess our sins to one another, and then our brothers and sisters have the privilege of speaking the truth of the gospel, the grace of the gospel over those struggles. It's a joy and a privilege to pray for one another in our struggles, to affirm uh, one another's belovedness when we feel like a total failure. It's a beautiful way to experience uh, the grace we have in Jesus in practical, you know, flesh and blood ways. So that's the definition or vision of the spiritual discipline of community. I think it's beautiful. I've experienced beauty, beauty in it. But of course, community is hard and messy and relationships are hard. And we all have, you know, false narratives we're living out of and sin and unbelief that, that make it hard. And the important thing to remember is that the pain uh, that comes from trying to love other imperfect people well uh, is in the discipline of community. It's not an interruption to the discipline or the spiritual formation, but oftentimes another furnace of transformation. So those are the times where we need to most lean in and see what God would have us do. So just to be realistic, let's talk about the crappy valley of community. This is a a, a graphic, a narrative that came out of Soma and the whole missional community movement. And the journey of the Crappy Valley goes like this. You start out on Happy Hill, and it's awesome. You're excited to be with these people. You know, you're new to church, and everybody seems cool, and you feel good about it, and the pastor's great, and you're amazed that, you know, this is even happening, and this is going to be it, and we're all full of hope and expectations. And, you know, it's the honeymoon stage. And you maybe you get in life transformation groups, and you feel excited. You know, you have a few people that want to go deep. Like, this is it. I'm finally be able to go deep, enter into life with you, people who care and ask questions and provide a safe place for you. Or maybe, you know, you're on the other side of the life transformation group. You're like, I want some bros to just hang out with, have a beer, you know, once a week or whatever. And they, like, keep asking me all these hard questions or, you know, whatever. There's there's the... Uh, the, the expectations that come in. And, you know, and hopefully it will be like that. Like, yeah, our expectations will be met for a while. Uh, but then, you know, the honeymoon comes to an end. And now we have to grapple with, with those one another's, like bear with one another and make allowance for one another's faults and forgive one another as Christ forgave you. One thing that community reveals is our definition of normal. A community can be just a really a beautiful opportunity to grow in awareness that we all have these senses of normal like you know it's like the the fish in the water you know what the heck is water uh it, it, we don't even think about it it's just normal based on how we grew up and what we like and all that stuff and you know so like what's the normal level of detail to share in a group you know people get frustrated at people that share too much and people that or stay too broad and vague and happy clappy. You know, there, there's all these things like what's the right way to process sadness? How long do you stay sad? You know, all these things that are like normal to us. Like you can be sad for one week and then you got to get out of it. Then you got to tie a bow on it or whatever. Uh, maybe someone in the group, yeah, I grew up in a family that didn't have space for sadness. And so if you're sad, you're bad. So anytime someone shares something sad, there's this like hard reaction, you know, like questioning their faith or slapping a verse on it or, or you know, what, what, whatever, maybe the person who, you know, talks too much and struggles when to know to, to stop talking or will dominate the group every week unless someone confronts it, which is very uncomfortable to confront. Like, hey, you know, what would it be like to kind of engage in some questions in the group rather than, you know, the monologues or whatever? Very hard to do in our cozy Midwest culture. And obviously that's a part of a practice of simplicity. So those are just two examples 
But if we could, as a church family, just be on the same page that we're going to let each other down when we can expect it and prepare for it, it will make it less shocking. Like, I'm probably on the verge of being cynical, but when like a new person comes to church and they want to get coffee and they talk about how like, yeah, I was a part of this church or I started this church plant or whatever, but like that guy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm so excited to be at this church or whatever. I'm just kind of like, I'm going to be that guy in probably six to nine months. (laughs) You know, you'll be sitting with another pastor and you know, a year or less telling about like all the things that I do wrong or whatever. Uh, there's just going to be a letdown. There's no perfect church. And the letdown leads us into the crappy valley. So if we start on Happy Hill, uh, honeymoon period, we go down to crappy valley. And, and this is the very much where it becomes a discipline showing up each week. Maybe it's not like tons of conflict. It's just kind of like bleh. It's just bland. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. Uh, we don't feel like we're getting anything out of it or, you know, someone's particularly needy or whatever. And this is where we need, like, perseverance, uh, long-suffering. You know, depending on which generation you're in, feeling like doing something is sometimes made uh, s- synonymous with authenticity. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I don't feel like doing it, then I'm, uh, you know, being inauthentic uh, or whatever. So if we do anything out of, like, just choice, you know, sheer force of will, then we're being fake or repressive. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't, we don't apply that thinking to most areas of our lives. Like if you know, we want to run a marathon or become a doctor, like we're going to do lots of things we don't feel like doing. Um, and so that's definitely the situation with Crappy Valley. No one gets through anything hard, does anything worth doing without, you know, some choice to, to persevere. Now, the Crappy Valley is typically where people bail on community. You just kind of live that first two stage. You do hap- Happy Hill and then you fall into the valley and then you try again somewhere else or whatever. And um, it makes sense. Like it hurt you. Know, it can hurt or just be really dry or disappointing or disorienting or, or whatever. But if that's the case, then we just repeat those first two parts. You know, then we we end up. That's where a lot of people start to deconstruct. That's where a lot of people start to grow bitter, disillusioned with the church because uh, they haven't let the, the the formation of community and making it through Crappy Valley have its way in their souls by the power of the Spirit. But going through Crabby Valley brings us to the other side of the valley, uh, which is Family Mountain. Uh, and there's a climb involved to get to the top of Family Mountain. Uh, there are a couple of things involved in that climb. Self-denial and sacrifice. Like one, We have to take up our cross in community. As a pastor in my last church, where after three years of calling people to what I thought was this beautiful, biblical, probably idealized vision of Jesus-following community, I realized that for my church of mostly introverts and small town folks who live in the country or small towns because they want to get away from people, that the biblical call to community didn't sound like some utopian vision. Uh, it sounded like a cross. It sounded like suffering. And so the, the call, the cross of following Jesus was following Jesus into community with his people. The cross they needed to bear was uh, their, you know, their other brothers and sisters. And to choose to do it because when we become Jesus's apprentices or God's children, we also join the community of apprentices. We join the family of God. We get all these brothers and sisters. We, of course, can be honest and say, you know, if it were up to me, I would not pick these people. Maybe we don't tell those people that. But, you know, we, we don't need to, like, lie to ourselves or whatever. Like, I, everything in me wants to check out or I'm, like, ogling other churches online or whatever. But choosing to stay... Uh, I'm, because I'm going to sacrifice these other things, deny myself other things or the comfort of just a night at home watching TV or finding cooler people to hang out with because I am committing to these people. The next aspect of the climb out of Crappy Valley is authenticity. 
Um, again, obviously don't mean just feeling it, you know, or what naturally flows. But I, what I mean is saying the most true thing. If someone says something you don't like or agree with, you know, I feel like the way of West Michigan is we just like hear it and our like eyebrows go up, our eyes get big and we don't say anything. And then we kind of slowly drift away, you know, to the beach or something like that. So what would it look like to just say simply, honestly, gently, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, I think I might want to push back on that or like, how do you see this verse applying to what you just said? Um, you know, there's all like, there's an art of, you know, speaking honestly or whatever. But uh, I, I think if we kind of hold those things that bother us down, like eventually they, they harden our hearts and make us d- distant from people. We don't feel like we can actually speak honestly or whatever. Um, you know, hopefully by this point, there's a little bit of trust and relational equity where we can speak plainly like, Hey, man, I'm so thankful for how open you are, but it feels like the last couple of weeks, other folks haven't had much space to share. Like, do you, do you think you could kind of help draw people out? You know, you seem good at sharing. Do you think you could help other people do the same and ask some questions or maybe in the confession portion of the LTG rhythm? You know, what does it look like to confess your authentic desire? You know, like, honestly, I have no desire to read my Bible. Honestly, I find myself daydreaming about just like every time I drive by, past the billboard, that talks about the Powerball and Mega Millions. You know, I just dream what I would do with the money. You know, speaking for a friend, of course. Honestly, uh, I'm feeling so angry at my kids right now because um, <clears throat> that that kind of a confession uh, it can kill our anger and our bitterness and show that let us know that we need grace and it makes it easier to show grace to others. The last thing, the climb out of Crappy Valley to Family Mountain uh, requires is self discovery. Doing anything hard is going to reveal aspects of our character and our hearts that we might rather not see, and we won't see any other way. Uh, you know, the crappy valley might start out where other people's flaws and sins are so huge in our minds, uh, and we think, like, how, what am I doing here? How can I possibly benefit from them at all? And the climb ends when that critical eye, that awareness of flaws and sins turns inward, uh, and our brothers and sisters reveal that, that those those flaws were so deep in us that we weren't even o- aware of them. You know, the sense of repulsion you might feel at someone who is like always late uh, or freely shares sadness might reveal that you're um, maybe a little bit uptight about punctuality or pretty emotionally stunted and haven't let God into the sad parts of your story because you're afraid to look at them and you don't like it when other people do that. Or your frustration at the quiet person in your group who won't speak up might begin to reveal your discomfort with silence and just the anxiety that that f- makes you need to fill the space, feel like you need to fill the space with empty words. And God might be inviting you to speak less and consider speaking more simply and asking questions and letting the silence hang. You know, maybe you have a visceral dis- disagreement with uh, the parent style of someone in the church. You know, it might reveal a lack in your own parenting style that God might be trying to balance out. Just a couple examples. And those are all pretty sensitive things. But pressing into these aspects of the climb, uh, speaking honestly, denying ourselves, and uh, growing in self-discovery and awareness is a great way that the work of God happens in our lives and the Spirit can bring us to family mountain where we feel a deep love and delight in each other, even as we know each other's faults, even as we're like, apart from Jesus, I would not be friends with these people. Um, that level of belonging is so precious. To be known in your ugly and still love, to have people move towards you when you confess is just one of the most powerful ways to experience the reality of the Gospels because our brothers and sisters are literally being the, the presence of Jesus because he moves towards the broken and the hurting. Uh, one of the sweetest examples of community I had was uh, in, up in Big Rapids with my main man, 
Jeff. He uh, was, I think he's my dad's age, like, you know, pushing 60 and he was a heavy machinery uh, mechanic or whatever. And he was my uh, chairman of the deacons for most of my time up there. Um, and just, a, 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 a you know, had been in the church 40 years, long-term person or whatever. And uh, that dude, you know, we had very little in common, different ages, different stages of life, different levels of education, you know, way different, like, you know, hobbies and preferences and, you know, all this stuff. We were very, very different. Uh, but the, the love that I experienced from Jeff and for Jeff as we just like labored together in the church where we could say like, we are brothers, we love each other, we move towards each other in our faults uh, because of Jesus uh, was, was, was just beautiful. You know, I have, I have friends where, you know, we're like the same, you know, that C.S. Lewis, like you too, you like the same stuff or whatever. That wasn't the case with, with Jeff. We loved each other in the, the body of Christ because of Jesus. Uh, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Now, of course, uh, the Crappy Valley isn't a one-and-done kind of process. There might be, you know, kind of seasons of it. And, of course, it's not always perfectly line- linear, you know, just like boop, 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 these three things, and you climb out of it or whatever. But uh, in terms of the practices for the discipline of community, uh, something to consider is just to, like, reach out to a brother or sister this week and do something. Uh, this is maybe like an entry-level practice, like anything. Does This is like play around with life on life, you know, hopefully – most of us are plugged into LTGs and our Sunday morning gathering, and you know, maybe we pop into the prayer and worship night once a once a month or something like that. But like, what would it be like to be like, hey man, you know, I'm going to Costco. Do you want to come too? Or let's come over and watch a movie. Where something where you're like getting a shared experience with a brother or sister. You're like connecting uh, and doing something together. Uh, the reach level for community would be to go to your current community, maybe your LTG or whoever you see as your inner circle, and ask them some questions about what they think of the discipline of community or how well your community is going and what would it look like to go deeper or one of my favorite questions uh favorite slash you know least favorite question that kind of terrifies me is like how do you experience me you know like how do I come across and just invite people to speak in um people that have spent some time with you uh and and so this is a little bit like a DTR like hey how are we doing in gospel community together you know I love you guys I uh, I'm so thankful that we're connecting. Like, what do, what do we need to grow in or what, what do we need to change? And, um, and you know, how do you experience me? Like, what are ways that you, what are things that you see in my life? Uh, community uh, just is a slow burn. It's a slow growth thing. There's just, there's the Ben Rector song, like, you can't make old friends. Like, it just requires hours together, time together doing thing. And the, the church is really prime for a place to, to grow those deep relationships because we have these weekly rhythms of connecting and you know this is uh, one thing that I, I really struggle with in community because I'm kind of wired to want to go deep and you know intense really quick but you know true community comes from a sustained openness to others and faithfulness to keep showing up uh, even if it's scruffy even if you know there's times of kind of falling in and out or whatever like I have every night I fill out a little five-year journal where like each page is like you know, a paragraph about each day for five years. And I'm on the second year now. And it's like warms my heart when I like look back at like this day last year and, you know, people that I'm still doing life with, that I'm still hanging out with, are showing up. You know, I was hanging out with them a year ago and here we are. We're still still together, still doing it. Um, and that's probably because I've uh, moved a lot <laughs> and, uh, you know, started from scratch, you know, a couple years ago when I moved uh, to Grand Rapids or, or whatever, um, and that brings me to a truism that I've heard in lots of places around the discipline of community. I forget who who said it first, but those who stay grow. 
And again, it always blows me up because I moved around a lot in my life and I'm kind of just like restless by nature. You know, I was like thinking about other things to do or start or places to go or whatever. And there is something to just faithful, intentional community over the years uh, that uh, fruit from that that just can't be simulated any other way. I just want to end with that same word we began with from our King Jesus in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love that Jesus has shown us is the basis for our love for one another. It's not uh, it's not our fellow Jesus followers' worth uh, of being loved that is the reason why we love them, but it's Jesus' love towards us in grace that fuels us. And as we love our brothers and sisters, we'll become more and more aware of Jesus' love for us. This love amongst the body, according to Jesus, has an evangelical aspect. It will show the world that we belong to Jesus. It's how the other people will know that we belong, is that we love each other. The love that we have for one another is so captivating that it draws people in. That's all I got for community. I hope this uh, makes sense of maybe your past experience with church community and gives you some clarity about around the process of, you know, getting to Family Mountain wherever you are. It would be good to have a discussion uh, what your experience in community has been like in the past and what the Holy Spirit might be leading you to engage in moving forward. Love you guys. See you on Wednesday.